This is Work the Case, a Criminal Minds legal podcast. Do you have an intro for this one? I mean, I'll just reiterate my last one, which is that I'd fuck Dr. Spencer Reed. <laughs> I I like this episode because it's just a bunch of uh just a bunch of teenagers doing a bunch of evil shit to one another (laughs) yeah and like the one satanist where they're like he's 20 he shouldn't be with those high school kids it's probably the most likable character of the whole episode yeah by the way um do you know who the the satanist is i do not he is famous actor um and i'm i'm just making sure i'm so paranoid i'm gonna say it wrong this aaron paul you know science bitch <laughs> oh shit i know i thought he looked familiar but i thought it's just because i have all these episodes memorized <laughs> yeah J- jesse pinkman went from science bitch to satan bitch well i would say satan bitch first t- chronologically <laughs> i guess yeah well when when jesse pinkman broke bad he really broke bad <laughs> <laughs> that's the intro i guess <laughs> Welcome to Work the Case. This is a Criminal Minds legal podcast where we every week we look into, is this an accurate depiction of Satanism, the political ideology, not the religion? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Lee. I'm Hope. And uh, we have a really fun episode today. It's episode 10 of season one, The Popular Kids. Yeah. Literally last episode, Lee was like, I can't wait to talk about episode 10. And I was like, oh, I know they have a whole dictionary on Satanism just ready to go. (laughs) I like that that's like, that's the thing about Lee. It's like, oh, yeah, they're a huge Satanist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm going to get right into the plot synopsis so the bau is deployed to i'm gonna say this wrong massanutten Ma- i think that's Massanut- how the locals would pronounce it sure massanut in uh mountain in McAllister county jo- virginia i don't know why i said georgia um it's all the fucking same they're in virginia uh, listen they all lost the war it's fine <laughs> Was Virginia on the north side? We did not get enough education about this in high school. Virginia was south. West Virginia was north. They actually specifically seceded from Virginia to stay on the north side. So West Virginia, (laughs) uh, you went wrong currently, but you fucked in the 1800s. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay, so they're they're in Virginia where two two sexy teenagers have been murdered and kidnapped on their jog. I say sexy teenagers because these are 20-year-olds. Yeah. One of whom is named Cherish, yeah. which originally I was like, that's a dumb name. And then they kept saying it. And I was like, you know, it's growing on me. <laughs> Lloyd has been murdered by blunt force trauma and Cherish Hansen has been kidnapped. We learn five minutes into the episode. Not only or when the BAU shows up to the crime scene, they don't find one dead body, but two. It turns out there's a decomposing body hidden underneath a tree. That has been also killed by blunt force trauma and carved into the tree above it is the words Satan lives, a little pentagram and then the acronym LOD, (laughs) which there's also candle wax all over it and other graffiti and a fucking skeleton. So it's been there for a while. I do like that apparently they couldn't test how old, like, the writing on the tree or the candle wax was. No. It's... Uh, or if they did, they were like, well, maybe there was a recent ritual and they just killed them forever ago. Like, we aren't just, we just aren't going to address it, I guess. Like, Yeah, they're looking at the fresh carving and going, huh, this must have been done months ago. It's like, that's not how trees work. <laughs> or, like, years, because that's a, t- it's, it is a skeleton at this point, so it has been dead for years. I mean, no, no, it's, it's been dead for months, but decomposition in a forest will be different than decomposition in other places because of animals and all that it's virginia there's fucking what's in virginia mountain lions coyotes i don't know i don't work at a fucking body farm so i'm sure there's something (laughs) yeah so the team thinks that they're dealing with a serial killer who's murdered two people in the same way, which is blunt force trauma. Despite the fact that that would mean the serial killer has, like, a several-month cool-down window. Not very typical. Anyways, as they're investigating, they 
decide to use the locals to try to figure out not only who is the unsub, but if they can find Cherish. So they organize a grid search of the mountain. <laughs> There's a yeah. lot going on here. They use the locals to search the mountain after JJ has a girl boss gaslight moment with the local sheriff. <laughs> we are immediately thrown two potential suspects. One of them is Father Burke, who we learn later has a record a criminal record what was it was he tax evasion or something he was assault with a deadly weapon and he found oh. god while he was in prison yeah love that for him and then we so the episode makes us think that it's going to be this priest for like half a second but i didn't suspect him at all because i was like sometimes you just assault a guy and go in prison and find jesus and become a priest that's just it that's yeah. a it's traditional not, virginia upbringing it is not uncommon in my line of work shall we say they introduce this teenager, and I'm immediately fucking onto him, his ass. Like, I'm. this is the killer. He's reading Nietzsche, and he immediately goes, yeah, nobody in this town understands me. And I'm like, that's the fucking killer. You're yeah, insane like, if you think it's anybody else. Now, admittedly speaking, this is coming from someone who I see a Letterman vest, and my fight-or-flight response kicks in immediately. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's just me. Not only is he a jock, but he reads Nietzsche. Like... That's the worst person I've ever met. Yeah, like, that's not a combination. That's someone I would kill on sight. So, also, he relates to Spencer Reed, which automatically means he's a serial killer. Automatically means he's fucking lying. Because as we know from Criminal Minds history, every teenager fucking hates Reed immediately. Yeah. They all think he's a fucking narc. So, uh, this very, very suspicious boy immediately turns them onto this apparently satanic cult that's operating out in the woods and by telling us like oh yeah that 20 year old who graduated high school but it still hangs out with teenagers he works he he's, has this band or something called the lords of destruction and they do drugs and listen to satan music and he's also in like the debrief with all the cops and no one's like hey kid maybe you should like leave <laughs> he's the sheriff's kid i guess is their reasoning for why he's there yeah, because, like, I'm not shocked the cops didn't because, like, it's a small town. They probably assume he's going to know because of the sheriff's dad. But no one on the mm-hmm. FBI was like, hey, this is, like, I don't know, private information we don't want leaked. Mm-hmm. No, Derek's like, I don't know. He's apparently Reed's little pet now, so I guess he's in. He's Reed 2.0. <laughs> yeah, so the so the ki- the narc kid immediately turns them onto the the satan group they go out to the woods and they find these satanists having a pretty okay party the music's okay yeah it's, it's all right for a small town it's a good it's a good metal I, I i find it to be a good metal music the cops bust in there's like apparently they don't know what satanists do for makeup because there's like three juggalos in this room <laughs> and they go to the back room where fuck motherfucking Mike Lizzo, Aaron Paul, who's standing with his arms up like Jesus Christ, and just looks up at the ca- like fucking dead looks at the cops. I'm I'm surprised he doesn't knock his head back and just go Wolverines like the energy <laughs> of that scene as like the music's playing and he's just like no 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 no. They take him in for questioning, and he explains a, he explains a little bit about political and political Satanism, which I will talk about in a moment. Which and, is a valid ideology. Yeah, and the team goes off to go, you know, do some investigating, just to go do cop shit. Whatever the fuck cops do these days. While they while they were raiding the metal house, Gideon followed a teenage girl who was looking forlornly at the police station before walking away. He follows her to a church, and she confesses that the dead body found in the woods was not the work of a serial killer. It was just a dumbass tourist that managed to twist his ankle, fall into a ravine, and die. And all of the popular kids, for several months, would go out to the woods and watch a dead body decompose. Just as, like, a bonding activity. I know Virginia doesn't have a lot going on, but Jesus Christ. Hey, what happened to <laughs> underage drinking? That was the past time in small towns last time I was in one. No, let's go watch a dead body decompose, because apparently we're main characters in a Stephen King novel now. And also they were like, it made us feel like we had a secret from the adults. And I'm like, first of all, if you tell more than, like, she made it sound like every teenager in the town knew, and, like, Except the Satanists. And it's like, hey, you can't tell more than, like, two teenagers something without an adult finding out. Um, That's my experience from high school. And second, like, just the fact that every kid in this town, except, like, the goths, 
were watching this body decompose just for fun as like a little inside joke secret is fucking insane. It is wild. Yeah. Also, like everybody's going to therapy now. Yeah. Because she's like obviously horrified. She's like, I don't know why we were doing it. It was so fucked up. And it's like, yeah, it was fucked up. Why were you doing that? (laughs) So after her tearful confession that they all deserve whatever the fuck is happening to them because they watched a dead body decompose in the woods for several weeks. Gideon clues into the fact that, hey, the Satanists don't know this is going on. It can't be our, go- our boy, Mike Lusso, the best <laughs> person in this entire episode. It's got to be something else. And they determined that the good old rule of criminal minds, if they get involved, they're guilty. I will say Morgan also figures this, figures this out like on his own independently, and that fucks for him. Yeah, because Morgan is have is having a real girl boss moment this episode. There is a subplot that I neglected to mention. The subplot being that uh, Reed's murder of Philip Dodd is finally hitting him, and uh, as is the rest of the horrible shit they witness on a weekly basis. And he's starting to have nightmares. And Morgan goes, "Oh, you're having nightmares. That sucks." Immediately snitches on his ass to Gideon and Hotch. And immediately goes, "Um, I'm not the person you want to talk about to that. Maybe talk to Gideon." And like runs away and then tells Gideon and Hotch without warning Reed that that's what he's doing. And then is like, yeah. "Why are you mad at me? Of course they need to know." Like, "Morgan, fuck off." Yeah, so the kid comes up to Morgan and Reed who are still processing the scene of the metal murder house. And he goes, there's another house further down the woods. And they follow his ass into the woods, find this little decrepit witch house. And inside, Derek finds, cherishes body and goes, well, this doesn't look good. Goes outside and tells Reed to fuck off and go see if the deputies are there because their cell phones don't work because it's Virginia. (laughs) And Derek kind of lets the unsub know that he knows, which is stupid. Reed comes back to say something and is immediately taken hostage by this teenager with a revolver that he stole from the police department. Which, by the way, great job, police department. Yeah. Locking up that gun safe. God. They, uh, basically, Morgan manages to tackle the unsub who is distracted because he's a teen boy, I guess. And they wrestle the gun out of his hands, take it from him. And Morgan punches a 17-year-old unconscious. Yes, in one punch. (laughs) knocks this motherfucker out <laughs> which you know well well he held his boy hostage we've got to we gotta fucking get him <laughs> uh he is arrested and the team gets back on the plane and they all rub it in reed's face that they can sleep through the night <laughs> and then gideon has his conversation with reed where he's like you can't sweat the small stuff like murdering a suspect or getting a hostage like killed You have to remember the good things we do. Like, occasionally we save somebody's life and don't leave them with lasting trauma. And then Reed goes to nap. And that's the episode. That's it. And it's, like, not even lasting trauma. He's like, we save their life and they come visit us every five years. And it's all great. Yeah, they'll write a letter. And that's what I hold to my chest as I fucking fall asleep in my wood cabin. (laughs) (laughs) So, a lot going on. Yes. For sure, for sure. Okay, so let, let's kind of just go through it note by note for this one, because we didn't have a lot of legal stuff to go on, but I do want to talk about a couple of things. Um, first of all, so let's talk about Satanism. Hit us with it, Lee. So Satanism is not the belief in Satan. It, po- contrary to popular belief, most people that would call themselves a Satanist are actually atheist or agnostic. Some... Some people are actually Christian or Jewish. Uh, Satanism is less of a religion and more of a political ideology. As Lizzo, his name is Lizzo. It's very funny. (laughs) Zizzo, sorry. It's Zizzo. I was going to say Lizzo. Is she into Satanism? That's pretty sweet. Yeah. Listen, we can't spread that rumor. (laughs) So Zizzo, it kind of explains it. Uh, He says Satan comes from the Hebrew word for opposition and... Satanists oppose religious dogma. So Satanism, yes, it does kind of uh, do that. Modern Satanism, and we're probably looking at this with a little bit too modern of a lens because 2020 Satanism is probably different than 2005 Satanism. But 20, like the Satanism that I understand and know is objecting to religion as 
a commonplace thing in the government. We're supposed to have separation of church and state in this country, but if you live in America, you know we do not. Especially in small-town Virginia. Especially in small-town Virginia, anywhere below the Mason-Dixon line. If it's a red state, you do not have rights if you are not the dominant religion a lot of the time. It's, it's difficult. So the Temple of Satanism, which is an established religion for tax purposes, but it's, it's not a religion, it's a political organization, essentially. What they do is they argue that if you include Christianity, you have to give any religion that wants to be involved equal weight. So Satanist... The, sat- the satanic temple goes, well, if you have this, you have to have this. So there's a famous case where a city put up a monument of the Ten Commandments in their town square. The temple of Satan was like, well, if you're doing that, you have to put up a big statue to Beelzebub because you have to have equal representation for any religious group that demands it, and we demand it. So the town took down this, the Ten Commandment monument. The uh, temple of Satanism is also pushing back against uh, its HB 10. SBA. Yeah, SBA, uh, which is the rule here in Texas about uh, getting an abortion after six weeks. They're pushing back on it by saying that the right to have an abortion is one of the foundational religious tenets of the Church of Satanism. So they're suing the state of Texas, demanding that their religion be recognized and allow people that are in the Satanic Temple to get abortions. And by the way... We are recording this episode about two days before the Supreme Court is expected to officially rule on SBA. Mm-hmm. So by the time this airs, there might be a decision. And I'm going to be real with you, Lee. I am not optimistic um, that it will be overturned. So, we'll, But we'll see. Yeah, Judge Handmaiden's tale doesn't really give me a lot of hope. Yeah. And that's my fucking name. So that tells you how bad it is. <laughs> fucking hate your, st- your hope joke. you know what i think they're good so i'll keep making them (laughs) okay um so in in reality there hasn't really been a case where a satanic cult has murdered somebody here in america believe it or not the when a cult is driven to murder most of the time it's either a cult of personality like charles manson or it's a cult that has christian inspire inspirations like you know jim jones yeah both of which have a shit ton of podcasts on them by the way so check those out if you like cult shit as i tend to yeah there's plenty of shows that talk about it i won't be leaning too much into it because it's not that kind of podcast yeah (laughs) but just so you know most of the time if a religion is like if if there's a crime that has religious motivations, it's not Satanism. Most of the time, it's Christianity. Yeah, it's some evangelical yeah. offshoot of Christianity. This is not to say that all Christians are evil or all Christians... Mm. Not all Christians, hope. <laughs> this is not to say that all people who practice the Christian faith are evil. We are not Christian on this podcast, as you could probably tell, but we respect your right yeah. to have your faith. We do. I will defend your right to exercise your religion as long as it's as long as it is not murdering people. Uh, I will defend it. Yeah, you're fine. You're valid. However, I've been in enough churches that they immediately are like, mm, "You need to go to hell immediately." That like I personally do not vibe with it. I got a get well soon card when I was came out as gay from one of my grandparents' <laughs> church members. <laughs> Like, I tell this story, and sometimes people are like, that's so sad. I'm like, no, that's fucking funny as hell. They sent me a good a good Get Well Soon card for being gay. That is genuinely the funniest thing I've ever heard. Like, because you have that, like, you want to hear a genuinely sad story? My cousin was sent to conversion therapy and killed himself less than a year after getting out. That's very like, tragic. I got a card that was like, yeah. through Jesus, all of our ailments are healed. So I don't know what... I hope you have that pinned above your bed whenever you have your partner over. <laughs> yeah, I put it on the mantelpiece, and I'm just like, Graham, look at this. <laughs> yeah, no, so... <laughs> the episode also touches on the satanic panic. It was... This was something I actually had to fight my dad about this because he was like, that didn't happen. And I was like, you were alive for it. Yeah. Like this was when my mom said that AIDS wasn't a big deal in the 80s. And I was like, what? Yeah. So the satanic panic was uh, it was a 
and there's two kind of satanic panics. There was a just a general fear of Satanism during the 80s uh, because a lot of teenagers were turning towards Satanism as a rebellion from the 70s because the 70s was a little bit more uptight and puritanical compared to the 60s. It was a reaction to the 60s. And also because teenagers are the coolest people on earth as a rule. Yeah. So we have, so there's this, a theory that like generations will do things in phases uh so like there will be like a a purity phase and then a rebellion phase in you know the 90s was pretty uh pretty slutty <laughs> compared to like like the 90s to early 2000s was pretty slutty to compared to like the mid 2000s to about 2015-ish and that was like very it got like more covered up and then now we're getting back into a slutty phase which i'm so proud of i think so you're more connected with youth culture than i am my brother is a teacher of high school students and every time i text him i'm like i genuinely don't know what you're saying Mm -hmm. because he's incorporating all like the new slang and shit Mm -hmm. and i'm like you've got to some of us don't talk to 13 year olds on the daily like i'm sorry by the way when i say we're getting back into a slutty phase i mean like in the general public i'm not saying that teenagers are getting back into slutty phases and i'm excited about that uh (laughs) because teenagers are always in a slutty phase that's what being a teenager is about yeah and you know what what i'm saying generally here is that throughout like like cultural shifts tend to follow phase like general yeah cultural shifts tend to be phasic in nature and then this um in this satanic movement that happened in the 80s it was mostly just teenagers vandalizing shit and putting pentagrams on stuff because they thought it was cool to look at that was a response to like the the kind of puritanical vibe that happened in the 70s so it's a rebellion the other point of the satanic panic and this is the part that they mentioned specifically in the episode was there was a like this magazine article about therapist unlocking repressed memories in child and like in their patients so basically there was like this this common idea in psychology at the time that you could activate repressed memories in patients by doing hypnotherapy and other types of kind of new therapies psychology was really having a boom in the 80s (laughs) because we were figuring out that women could have emotions (laughs) and they weren't just being a bitch so but the problem with repressed memories is one of the common therapeutic tactics to unlock them was hypnotherapy hypnotherapy makes a person very very suggestible to what's called psychic driving which is the idea that you can basically kind of take the reins in someone's mental state and manipulate them by implanting ideas thoughts or memories so the repressed memories became a problem because they were used by some psychiatrists that like genuinely wanted to help people unlock like why they were having trauma responses to some things and then other therapists would see that and start using it on their own patients who didn't have repressed memories or repressed trauma they were just normal patients a lot of these were younger children so they would be psychic driving these children and the kids would say that they were molested by satanic cults because that was how like that there was a lot of suggestibility especially in children so a lot of people were fucked over by this because kids were suddenly confessing to being molested at daycares or you know by by doctors by babysitters and it a wave of fucking lawsuits and investigations happened. It ruined a lot of lives and it dis- it destroyed a lot of lives, essentially. So this satanic panic became a big problem in the psycho- like the field of child psychology, especially. And we will touch on this again in a in a long t- a long time from now, essentially, because that's the entire motivation of Doctor Scratch. Oh, I fucking love that episode. Yeah, so that's season, I think that's season nine, right? It's a while into it. I remember it being the first episode after, like, a few years of watching this. It actually, like, fucked me up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Dr. Scratch is in a later season, but part of his whole motivation is that his father 
his practice was ruined by accusations made during the satanic panic because people like were bringing out repressed memories in children and those repressed memories were like this dr scratch molested me and it wasn't true but it ruined this man's career and life so society has always had negative reactions to satanism it's kind of been like the uh, it's been the driving force there's a lot of like renewed interest in satanism now <laughs> not like and i mean i'm not saying like people joining the temple of Sat- satanism i mean like a lot of people seem to be accusing little nas x of being a satanist <laughs> Yeah, and it's hard to tell if that's just, like, your general, like, evangelical, like, if they finally found him, mm-hmm. or if it's actually more popular now, because Twitter's a hellscape. Yeah. Here's, like, I've not seen as much discourse about Satanism as I have since Lil Nas X dropped Montero. <laughs> yeah, like, that was a really weird brief foray into insanity. Well, it was, I think it was a cultural touchdown moment, and, he, like... Uh, here's what I'll say about Satanism in this regard. A lot of the time people that are in marginalized communities will relate to something that is marginalized. So for people of color, for queer people, uh, for especially if you meet somewhere in that intersection, Satanism is going to be a very fun concept to play around with because, you know, you're gonna if you see someone that's cast out and see someone that's like held to an impossibly high standard you're probably gonna go with the one that's cast out and that's satan (laughs) yeah historically there's been like a tradition especially in black jazz music Mm -hmm. um of like mentioning like and doing pretty similar stuff to little on sex right yeah and things like that so i think i think that's culturally interesting Mm -hmm. No, black culture has a lot of roots in Satanism, both as a response to puritanical white Christians and forcing their religion on them, but also as a way of saying, like, fuck you to society. I think that's really cool and neat. We are also two very, very white people. So yes. we are trying to, we're not trying to tiptoe around this because it's not like, you know we're not acknowledge we're acknowledging that we are white people in this foray but we're also saying we don't have a lot of knowledge on this that's like ingrained in us culturally so we are trying to be very sensitive here yeah we just we're just knowing like what we've learned ourselves from educating ourselves i will say lil nas x um invented queer rights and you can quote <laughs> me on that yeah he, um the little nike shoe with the satanic symbols was actually the first brick thrown at stonewall <laughs> But yeah, um, go, go stream that album. It's really good. <laughs> but yeah, so that's Satanism for you in a nutshell. Okay. We've been talking about it ad nauseum. Let's get to the legal stuff because there's like there's some legal stuff that we c- could get to. I also kind of just want to talk about all of the weird shit that happens in the course of this investigation, and I think some of it's prosecutable. I was going to say, because there's more weird shit than there is, like, a ton of scene changes. So I'll go through, Mm -hmm. like I did last episode, and do, like, the lighter stuff that we can pass over and Mm -hmm. then get to the stuff that's a little bit crunchier. So we start in the woods where it's a crime scene. We've discussed that previously. It's not a search. Also, it's a public woods, so they could probably search it without a warrant anyway. Who gives a shit? Mm -hmm. Um, they do background searches on all the volunteers, but Garcia is pulling up, like, public information, so, like, arrest records, names, um, and they gave their names to the police, so that's fine to search even without permission. Now, one thing that I found just absolutely balls to the wall insane, um, is that, actually, no, I'll get to that in a second. I'm trying not to get into the crunchy stuff. I'm doing my best. Um, They bring in the, like, head Satanist, the 20-year-old, and he says he doesn't know why he's there, but he's obviously under arrest, so they didn't tell him what he's being charged with. So Mm -hmm. I reasonably think they probably didn't read him his rights, or if they did, he didn't properly understand them. So that's an issue, especially when they start, like, plopping down pictures of dead bodies, and he's like, what the fuck is going on? Mm-hmm. That's a little sus. So they either didn't read him his rights or they read them to him and he was like, waved them, which I'm getting the vibe that he wouldn't <laughs> um, just from this yeah. whole character. So 
because this guy's pretty much a radical anti-government dude, so I don't think he would just be waving his rights nilly, willy-nilly. Yeah, I don't think he'd be like, I don't know why you're arresting me, but yeah, I don't need a lawyer. I don't need to remain silent. Like, this is someone who, this is from my experience with, like, Satanists and etc., um, which is limited. I chilled with Satanists. I was not part of it because I was fucking lame in high school. Um, <laughs> but... Pretty much, like, they know their legal rights to a T so that they can actually enact them when they need them. And Mm -hmm. waiving your rights totally, just for no reason, like, does not seem like it is within this particular character's personality or his political mindset. So anything Mm -hmm. he said couldn't be used, but luckily he's not the unsub, so it doesn't really matter at all. Yeah, this is a, another episode I'm putting in the very big bin I have in the corner, which is, thank God he's not the unsub. Yeah, and then they also have, so the high schooler, the sheriff's kid, is with them when they search the LOD's, like, home base or whatever the fuck, which, why is he there? Corey is not with them, he's not with them when they search the base the first time when they do the raid. He does show up afterwards as they're continuing to investigate the scene. That's what I mean, why is he past the tape like he wouldn't be allowed because he'd fuck up the car like even around the house Mm -hmm. the chance he fucked something up is like he wouldn't be there it's wild but is it an active crime scene because i know they just kind of went there to grab him so yeah because they would still be searching it for evidence and everything else because they're searching for the body Mm -hmm. so it would be an active scene so it's really weird that he's there but also so he says hey there's this random outbuilding we need to go search it which Wild that he just didn't mention that beforehand. Um, mm-hmm. Little sus, don't you think? Agent Morgan agreed with me on that point, at least. <laughs> and so the way warrants work is that they have to give a specific location to search, and the cops can only search that location. And so that can be as specific as someone's desk in a specific room of a specific building, or it can be search apartment 229, or it could be search this lot of land within whatever has been surveyed and it's 10 acres and you can search wherever and dig up and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I am assuming that this is the latter. First of all, I think that would make sense because they don't have a great idea of what's there in the first place. Um, and second, just because it makes it easier um, to say search this lot of land, um, especially if it's abandoned and doesn't necessarily have an owner. It's just where kids hang around and get wasted and party. Um, I think it would be fine. But that's just something to note. Again, they find the unsub and they find the body, neither of which can be... The body could be not mentioned where they found it, but the fact that it's there couldn't be hidden, so the fact that she's dead. And they already have him confessing and holding an agent at gunpoint and everything else. So, like, it would be moot. It's just something to maybe note that, like, it would be something specifically in the warrant that would allow them to search that outhouse. Apparently there's a second genre of Ben that I need, which is, thank God he assaults a cop. Yeah, which I won't even comment on it. We'll move on. (laughs) So yeah, it's just really weird. So they're also, Gideon goes and speaks to the girl at the church, like we mentioned earlier. This would be more along the lines Mm -hmm. of a um, confession or a spontaneous utterance, because she's not under arrest. If she got up and left, he would let Mm -hmm. her. He doesn't have any suspicion that she, like did anything like illegal like he's not arresting her or stopping her he's, he's just coming up and being like hey i noticed you look nervous and upset and do you want to talk about it and she does so that would also come in by the way if he did end up arresting her he would have to wait until her parents were there because she is underage unless she's like unless there's like specific laws in virginia about like if 17 year olds can make a confession without they their can. parents I, the, they yes. can. Uh, is she? Do we know how old she is? Like sixteen, seventeen? Yeah, she's late high school, somewhere in there. Okay. Regardless, it's it's best practice to bring a minor's parents in if they're going to be talking to the police. So, if this was an interrogation or an arrest, he would need her parents there. But because yeah. it's just a talk in a church, um, it's kind of allowed. Yeah, and like Lee said, it's frowned upon, but they can question, especially older children. So this is when it becomes, again, a balancing test of that knowing, intelligent, voluntary thing, which is can kids, like, really know and conceptualize their rights? So usually older kids, this leans more in the favor of the fact that they can. So you're 16, 17, 
you probably know enough to know to ask for an attorney if it's told to you. But if you're 11, 12, 13, or whatever, you probably don't. This ranges, again, and is tends to be a jury question, or it can also, a lot of these things are pre, um, pre-trial motions, so the judge makes the decision. But again, it's not really relevant because this isn't like an arrest or anything. She just tells him this, and he can use it. And we will assume that she would say this again on the stand because our rule on this show is if they say it on the show, they will say it on the stand because I'm not dealing with how much people lie on the stand. We're not SVU uh, where people just switch loyalties. Yeah. So the like next light thing I have is, again, Morgan just knocks this kid the fuck out and one yeah, punch. Yeah, so this kid... Again, I've learned things. This kid's getting arrested and tried for double homicide. So, gavel banging sound. This is the people versus Derek Morgan. (laughs) Yeah, and so, like, this would be, again, a police brutality charge because he's validly arresting him, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. He's in the commission of a crime. The issue would be, is he in mortal danger enough to read? Because at this point, Morgan has tackled him. But the gun is off secured. in the trees. <laughs> yeah, but Morgan may or may not know that for sure. Like, and especially if you're dealing with someone who's in the middle of trying to kill you, like, just being on top in a physical fight doesn't mean that you're going to win or that they can't flip you over or get away or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it also doesn't mean that you need to knock them totally unconscious immediately. So, like, again, cops usually get away with this shit, generally speaking, but it is something to note. That it is at least something that his defense attorney would contest and his dad would obviously be helping and his situation would help. And so it might actually be a claim that kind of goes forward. Now, I'm just a simple country lawyer, but Derek (laughs) Morgan is six foot four and like 250. This is a child and he's a little kid. Like he's not. Yeah. I'm not saying he's little because he's probably taller than me, but he is not six four. Yeah, but. They just have to, so cops just have to think that there might be a danger. They, there doesn't have to necessarily be one. And so that's why, like, you get all these cases where they're like, they put their hand in their pocket. I thought it was a gun, so I murdered them in cold blood. And they were just, like, <laughs> looking for their ID that the cop told them to pull out two seconds ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, like, the same vein, right? I thought he was a danger. We were in the middle of a physical fight. I knew I had to neutralize him or he may get to the gun or he may still have the gun. Like, it's dark. I don't know what's happening. It's a panic. We can't make perfect decisions in these situations. Ergo, I knocked him the fuck out in one punch. Mm -hmm. That would be Morgan's defense, whether or not the jury buys that. Because, again, this is a giant dude who also, to be realistic, is a person of color. While this is a little tiny white kid from a small town whose dad is the sheriff and will be Mm -hmm. presumably throwing his entire weight to protect this kid. Oh, yeah, he's going to put his whole pussy into that defense. Yeah, like, those would be factors that would weigh in on the trial but i can't speak to like what would happen at the trial again these are just things that i am noting as issues Mm -hmm. um and since they're balancing tests and weighing factors and the jury decides it like i can't say for sure Mm -hmm. that would be something to note so that leaves kind of two things one of which is lighter than the other so i'll go into that which is morgan is talking to Corey, the unsub before like kind of accusing him, kind of testing it out, whatever, before Mm -hmm. he takes Reed hostage. And the question on everybody's mind, I know, it's it's so pressing, is, is this an arrest? (laughs) And that's a great question. We need, like, a, if if we ever sell merch, like, the button is just, is this an arrest? Yeah, is this a search? (laughs) Do they need a warrant for that? Um, (laughs) Our merch is literally just going to be a little card on what to say if you get arrested. Anyway. Yeah, no, our, our, our merch is a card to say on what you get arrested, a pin that says, is this an arrest? And then a, another pin that just says, I'd fuck Spencer Reed. Yes, lawful but awful. <laughs> okay, but. Lawful but yes. awful would be fun. To move on. Um, this is really, again, this is a weird situation because Morgan kind of suspects him, but this is, seems to be more of a vibes check situation. Yeah, you know However, when your stepdad comes into your room and starts, like, messing with some of the stuff on your shelf and just goes, hey, did you kill somebody? Yeah, and so, like, he also, the general, like, litmus test is if you could leave, and could Corey leave at this point? Would Morgan let him? Probably, like, you know, I think if Corey mm-hmm. walked away, but I think the line for me, and is this an arrest or not, is when Morgan makes the actual accusation, which is, like, a few minutes into the conversation, right? He's like, 
you know, psychology, you know, usually the unsub and serious and stuff, blah, blah, blah. They have a conversation. I think mm-hmm. when Morgan says, I think it's you or however he phrases it, but he drops the bomb of like, I actually suspect you. I think mm-hmm. that's when it becomes an arrest because he's making a formal accusation. I think Corey reasonably, like if a cop accuses you of something and you turn and run, like I think that's generally a bad idea. I think at that point, mm-hmm. that's when Morgan is making the mental decision of I'm not going to let him leave until I figure this out. So mm-hmm. I think from like a general standpoint, that would be the line. Um, I think from an actual attorney standpoint, the prosecution would be arguing he could have left right up until he took Reed hostage. And the defense would be saying the second Morgan came out and was suspecting him, it's an arrest because he wouldn't have let Corey leave anyway. But mm-hmm. the idea is, does the person, the suspect, feel like they're able to leave? Not would the cop have let them? And I think Corey mm-hmm. would have felt able to leave until Morgan dropped the bomb that we are, like, we think he did it. Yeah, which, you know, at that point, anything that Corey says, unless it was Miranda's properly, would not be admissible. But we don't have to care about that because he immediately takes Spencer Reed hostage with a gun. And that is immediately fucking like he's in the middle of a crime. Nobody gives a shit. Everything he does is going to go to court. Yeah. Now a crime is being committed in open air with two witnesses. So anything that happens is admissible from now on. Yeah. So my very last point is they get the warrant to search the Satanist like little party area. And Mm -hmm. the only thing they have is the Lord of Destruction, which matches LOD, which, like, may be kind of persuasive. And the fact that a random kid in town said, uh, they listen to heavy metal music, and Gideon goes, well, Satanists do that. And (laughs) it's batshit insane. Like, so I have several thoughts, which is normally in criminal minds, they're like, hey, we're looking for someone who's maybe on the fringes of society, and when, when we're in small towns looking for a killer... That the cops are all telling us, well, no one in this town could have done that. Usually the first quote-unquote suspects in everybody's minds are the people on the fringes of society. Such as these goth kids, which aren't going along with the establishment religion, the establishment culture of that town. And so usually when people are like, well, nobody could have committed these murders, but there's those freaks in the woods. They had to do it. That's usually the mindset of these towns, specifically in Criminal Minds episodes, as well as like usually in real life. And so the fact mm-hmm. that Gideon is coming in... And they spend, this is also one of those things where in Criminal Minds were like, textually, they're like, the satanic panic was ridiculous, there's no satanic killings, blah, blah, blah. But then they'll also go, but Satanists listen to heavy metal music, so that's who we're looking for. It's very weird, like, it's a weird contradiction. But also the fact that a kid stands up and says, well, I know these kids listen to heavy heavy metal music and call themselves the Lord of Destruction, is not exactly reasonable cause to search and arrest every person in that building. Yes. Like... Um, here's what I will argue, though. They're in Virginia. I bet my fucking ass that they went to any judge and went, we think Satanists killed somebody, and they went, I'll sign whatever you need. That was literally my second bullet point, because I was like, this wouldn't happen. (laughs) And then I was like, but it's small town Virginia, and they all know which judge is going to be the rubber stamp judge for this shit, and it would just go through. Um, Mm -hmm. but this would be something that, like, at least the defense attorney would be contesting, especially for all the random people that got arrested. Like, yeah. the amount of contested until they all get released because they realized in, like, 20 minutes that it was actually the football player jock kid who was killing all the people. Like, mm-hmm. anyway, this just genuinely wouldn't be enough for a warrant. And, again, it's playing into the idea of the people who we as a established society especially in small towns think are weird are going to be the ones first on the suspect list Mm -hmm. and not thinking critically about like what is actually happening in front of them such as someone inserting themselves into the investigation leading the investigation eventually finding the body for them like so on and so Mm -hmm. forth okay um so i have a note on a legal thing, actually. Ooh, spicy. Spicy. So, um, when they are doing the grid search, L is with, his name is Henry Dent. Oh, yes. I'm okay. not here to talk about Garcia looking through the, uh, like, his criminal record, because that, again, is, like, I could right now look up and find anybody's criminal record. Yes. It's pretty easy. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that they come across a note 
pinned to a tree with what L identifies. That is something I was forgot to mention. Yeah, L identifies some blood on it. This is my legal note, Hope. I'm the legal expert this time. <laughs> um, and L, like earlier in the episode, they were like, we'll instruct everybody to not touch anything. L and Henry put both of their fucking hands all over this goddamn note. Yeah, like the... Ch- the evidentiary issues with this note is wild because they do say, like, we want civilians but tell them not to touch anything because they don't know how to handle it. And L pulls out, like, a glove and unpins this from the tree. Like, she doesn't put it on. And then doesn't touch the glove. She she straight up puts it, like, she I saw her fingers yeah, touch like, the paper. This is a very, like, any fingerprint analysis, any type of analysis on this note has just gone out the fucking window, as well as the fact that she can look at it and be like, mm-hmm. I think it's blood, but at that point, they don't know if it's animal blood. They have reason to believe it's human blood, but, like, they don't know that yet. Henry's also touched it. He he reaches out and he touches this note. <laughs> yeah, and she lets him touch it. So, like, if I was the defense attorney, I'd be like, listen, this is totally fucking compromised. They've been rubbing their hands all over it. Mm-hmm. They moved it from the actual scene that it was in. So any pin that was holding it to the tree has now been fucked up. Yeah. Like, I would vigorously be contesting this fucking note and so like the contents of it might get in but the actual like any evidence with it would not and that's uh that there's the for the primary issue being that like we have disturbed the scene so we can no longer determine anything off of it the second probably being a chain of custody issue because once the note's taken off the tree you can no longer present it as it actually accurately was to a jury and you cannot, yeah, at that point, certify that it has been untampered with because a civilian put their hands on it. And that's also an issue I have with the civilians doing the search. I do agree with JJ that, like, the civilians definitely know the woods better than, like, an out-of-town state trooper. Mm-hmm. But civilians, one, you can tell them not to touch something, but you can't trust that they won't, mm-hmm. especially in, like, this type of case. Which is why they put the cops then you with have them. The- yeah, but then you have the issue of what if a civilian is walking by and, like, steps on something or like the fact that they are interacting with the scene is what reveals the like evidence to you Mm -hmm. which is inherently a compromised scene inherently an evidentiary issue and not done by a police officer so then the defense attorney can just have a fucking field day with it so i know that they have officers with each person doing the search but the fact that they even have high school kids out there searching um which you're searching for a kidnapped girl in a or her body, so I don't know why they have, like, a group of 16-year-olds out there doing it with just a, like, supervisor. It's just weird. Let's get all of these kids traumatized. Woo! Yeah, which, I mean, they've been doing a dead body alone for months, but the adults don't know that. They don't know that yet. Um, I also do think... So, part of the reason that they're doing the whole kids go out in the woods and search thing is not because they want to search the area. Like, I think if they stumbled across her dead body, they'd think that was pretty neat. It saved them a lot of time in the cleanup, but the primary goal of that is to see who signs up because in Criminal Minds world, if you did it, you have to be in the search party, apparently. Yeah, but also, again, this isn't, like, that's the secondary reason that Gideon lies to the police officer to get him to only use town, like, town people to do it, but they're still doing an actual search of these woods. Mm -hmm. So I can easily picture that, like, the sheriff going, okay, we'll use only people from town, but I'm not letting, like, 16-year-olds do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's, like, a, there's some, a lot of, like, Mirandizing issues and, like, who's, who can give testimony in court issues and then chain of custody issues. And evidentiary shit, yeah. Yeah, hey, this, this cop kid might actually get off. <laughs> <laughs> like, again, this is a, in the box in the corner I've labeled thank god he assaults Morgan um <laughs> or he assaults Reed like he assaults two FBI agents so he's already fucked yeah but Morgan's basically they use that man as bait <laughs> like every episode they're like hey Morgan like dangling him in front of the unsub he's a honeypot for violence <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so there's just a lot going on <laughs> And there's not a lot of legal stuff going on outside of, like, chain of custody issues, which, again, that's just gonna... The penalty for that is piece of evidence and doesn't get to be admitted into the courthouse. Um, There is issues... Every search Garcia does is legal. There's, aside from Derek Morgan assaulting a boy and... um, 
just like general issue like there's not really a lot going on like legally but the emotions in this episode are all at 10 as as with pretty much every episode at this point uh i'm i'm adding in that derek uh disclosed private information to a superior as a part of my title 7 complaint yeah or not title 7 that would just be like general workplace harassment well i think it's because like the deter- my determining factor here is that uh why why doesn't he believe that reed can disclose this on his own time is it is it discrimination? Are we, are we looking at a discrimination here? Or is it just, like, a, a weird thing here? Like, what's going on? Well, yeah, because it has to be discrimina- discrimination based on race, sex, um, nationality, or religion. Autism? Um, and, it, and it has been held that, like, a man being more effeminate or, you know, less masculine mm-hmm. and treating him differently from that is discrimination based on sex. Mm-hmm. Um, fun fact, that's why the Bostock decision went through so easily, because it's easy to jump from that to trans people should have rights. So, Mm -hmm. he could maybe sue that you're treating me differently because I'm not your version of a masculine man, and that's discrimination based on sex. Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe. That's a very far reach, though. Oh, I'm doing... I was doing it based on autism. Oh, that would be Title II. That's disability. Oh, Title II. Okay, well, I'm changing my legal strategy. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but so, and uh, that's a joke. I don't think that that's discrimination based on the fact that he's autistic. I'm just having fun with my lawsuit. Anytime, anytime Lisa something legal, know that they're joking. Anytime I say something legal, know that it's the word of God. <laughs> kind of stupid as fuck. Sometimes, sometimes Hope will text me listening to the episode and be like, why the fuck were you fighting me on this? And I'm like, because I must. I'm a clown. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh I am really tired of episodes of Criminal Minds that don't involve sex crimes. I'm... (laughs) When are we getting my next sex crime? Because I really want to talk about parapsychology. Or, sorry, paraphilias. Um, It looks like next week we are looking at Blood Hungry, episode 11. The BAE team must profile a delusional killer in rural Tennessee. And a family member protecting him puts a child at risk. So... It does not look like a sex crime, and for that I am sad. <laughs> you know, like, that thing where it's, like, mentally ill bitches will be like, this is my comfort show, and the comfort show is the most awful thing you've ever seen. Like, Criminal Minds or, <laughs> or SVU. That's us. Just a, just a fun note for, for you, Hope. Uh, did you know uh, my t- two of my favorite shows are Hannibal and SVU. I did know that because he texts me about them fucking constantly. Do you know who's in both shows? Who? The person who plays Dr. Chilton also plays Raphael Barba, my favorite character in SVU. Didn't recognize him. <laughs> Didn't recognize him at all. Like, those are two main characters. And I went, yeah, that's a, that's a guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a man, Your Honor. Did I tell you that I watched the movie Eternals and I the whole time I was sitting there like, I don't know who this blonde lady is, but she's really pretty. And then it got to the end credits and it was like, and Angelina Jolie. And I was like, I'm a stupid motherfucker. I'm the stupidest motherfucker that's ever lived. I still need to watch Eternals. Oh, God. Anyway, we need to wrap this episode up because then we're just going to talk about all the TV shows that we like. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, next week we'll be doing... Uh, a child murder episode, I think. So that'll be very fun. <laughs> and uh, I keep promising that we'll get that winter schedule out, but we will. I promise. We're getting to it. Just know that there will be a Christmas special. <laughs> okay, so uh, this has been Work the Case Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Work the Case. If you liked today's episode, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes. It really does help get our podcast out to more listeners. And if you want updates on when the next episode will drop and other tweets about the show, follow us on Twitter at WorkTheCasePod.